so I will probably mention this again, but I mentioned last week about being careful or wise about any books you might uh, pick up to read about angels, and the two that I've been using that I have found most useful, they're both actually been around for a while. This one's by a man by C. Fred Dickinson, um, and it's Angels Elect and, and uh, Evil. And this one is a man by Renaud Showers. And again, it's been a, around a while, but Angels, Those Invisible Spirits Called Angels. Both of these books are well within the Orthodox uh, ranks as far as books are concerned. Uh, I have never owned it. I know that Billy Graham wrote a book on angels many years ago. To the best of my knowledge, I would certainly think that would be an acceptable book. But I would be, again, as I said before, very careful buying just a book off of the bookshelf that has angels on it because of especially of the, all the misuse of that and misunderstanding of angels. So, so if you're going to buy a book on, on angels, of course, any book you buy except for the scripture, when you're reading it, you always need to read it with uh, discernment and wisdom because they always, always will care, have the potential of carrying something, containing something that's not, that's not sound. So just a couple of references to that. I'll probably, again, make reference to it again. Psalm 103, verse 20, please. Uh, one of the last things I mentioned last week in our study was that angels are powerful but not omnipotent. Powerful but not omnipotent. So they are not God. They are not like God. Their powers are limited uh, by design in God's creation. And Psalm 103, verse 20, uh, has a verse that makes allusion to that, and then we'll look at other couple of other references um, as we move on. So Psalm 103, 103, verse 20, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. And so notice that these angels are recognized as excelling, in strength, and so we're, we're grateful for that. An example of the angel's power, let's turn over again to Genesis 19. Seems like that passage comes up with, for different reasons, numerous times in our study. Again, it's the encounter of The glasses are sliding all over the place. Everything else is going everywhere. It wants to up here on my stand. <laughs> Genesis 19 and um, verse 10. Uh, but the men reached out their hands, and these are actually the two angels, and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so they became weary trying to find the door. And so we have... The ability, obviously, God-given, God-supplied, but the ability of these angels of these two men to um, blind these uh, ones that were wanting to um, be involved in carnal activity. So they do have power. Uh, one we're not going to look at, but one you may think of right away, uh, that uh, God sent the angel that, that shut the lion's mouth in Daniel chapter 6, verse 22. Obviously, that far exceeds anything that any of us are capable of doing, but the angel was able to do that again through the power of God. But just as a note to also the limitations of these angels, turn with me to Job chapter 1. Job 
Job chapter 1, and I'm going to read with verse 8. Um, this passage has always intrigued me. Um, we probably will come back to it later in our study, but uh, I, I can still remember like the first time I remember reading the book of Job chapter 1. It was like, wow, did this really happen? Does, is Satan really here in the presence of God? It just seemed like such a contradiction to me of anything I'd ever expected or, or whatever. And again, uh, it is here. It's true. I'm not saying that. I just, was, just remember, probably as a relatively new believer, just how amazed I was of, about this particular scene. But in Job chapter 1, verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, and one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so God limits the power of Satan, and, and Satan obviously is under the control of of God, and say, he says, you can, you can do whatever you want to with his material possessions, but don't do anything to his person. And so God limits uh, p- Satan's power in this particular situation. So that basically sort of wraps up or finishes up our, uh, sort of our study from last week. But, and I would just again make a statement or two here with, that we need to be careful as we move through this, not to make more of angels than Scripture does, but do not make less of angels than Scripture does. And we know that that is something that we're going to have to find a balance for, a striking someplace in the middle. So as a summary to this point, we've discovered that angels were created. I've suggested to you that the possibility that they were created early on the first day of creation. Certainly God's not limited by, by time or by power. It would only take an instant for God to do that. We've found that angels are persons. They have intellect, emotion, and will. They are, they are immaterial. Uh, they are not physical in the sense that we're physical. They're immaterial, which allows them then to be everlasting. Again, looking at us, our physical part dies. Our immaterial part, our soul and spirit, continues on forever from the point of beginning to forever. They are powerful, and they are divided between the elect and the good. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, please. So, this is just sort of a curiosity thing to throw out there for you, but uh, I can remember the first year I was in, in, the, in, in Christian college hearing guys talk about, uh, I, I had a year of college before I went there, so I was in some of the upper class classes, and I remember guys talking about uh, this supposedly difficult ordination question, questions that you're asked in an ordination council, and this, this question was, how many angels can sit on the head of a pin? I've never heard that asked in an ordination council. I've been to a few in my, in my day. I've never heard the question raised, but supposedly it was. It was interesting. I was chatting with Pastor Rodney right before class earlier this morning, and he actually brought it up. I don't remember what brought it up, but he brought up the fact that uh, had, I think he sort of asked me if I had I've solved the question of how many angel said on the head of a pen he with his tongue in cheek he was just teasing me 
And I said, oh, I said, you've heard that too? He said, yes, and he thought it was Thomas Aquinas that actually posed the question to begin with uh, along the way. But obviously, um, I don't know, I, I probably wouldn't have been be quick enough if somebody had asked me, a, actually asked me that in my ordination council how to respond. But I said to Pastor Rodney, I said, a pr- proper response is, why would, do you really want me to take time to answer such a question? Because obviously, however many angels can sit on the head of a pin, however many God wants to, right? <laughs> however many God wants to. But just... Just a sort of a, I, I'm putting it out sort of as a silly question that, that you know, people can just go off with some silliness rather than, than just really honest evaluation of what, of what the scripture talks about or what we're saying. I mean, who cares, you know, how many angels can sit on the head of a pen. But anyway, that is tied in with what, where I'm taking you here in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11. And um, so... This is John speaking in verse 11 of Revelation 5. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was, and this is a reference to the angels, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And the question is raised often, so it's addressed in most books that are addressing, and that is how many angels are there? What is the number of angels? Obviously, this number, if you did, were a mathematician and tried to do something with it or use your calculator or whatever, you basically come up with a number that cannot be understood or comprehended. Um, notice that it does, does use the word, the plural word of thousands and thousands, and it also has ten thousands and ten thousands. Um, when I think about this particular matter of how many angels are there, I always rem- I'm reminded of Christ's response in Matthew 26 uh, when Peter w- comes to his defense with a sword and, and Christ says, I didn't need you to defend me, Peter. Uh, I could have asked my father and he would have sent 12 legions of angels. Now that number is more finite because a legion at that time was approximately 1,000 men, so you have a, a more of a finite number. And then the other place you might want to write down for this is Daniel chapter 7, 9 through 10. That has a similar type of wording as the Revelation passage. But how many angels are there? However many God needs. You know, whatever, whatever amount God needs. It's been suggested that there are the same number of angels as there are number of believers intended in God's purpose or plan. I don't know that that has any merit one way or the other uh, once if I do have an angel that's my guardian angel and that angel is assigned to me once I pass from this life I don't need it any longer so it would be could it could become somebody else's guardian angel at that point in time so um, you know what I'm saying is you don't have to have that kind of a number for every believer that's ever existed on earth you just obviously would just have to have enough to cover all the believers at, on earth at any one time but it's just whatever kind of question along the way. Um, the name of the angels, the angels that we have that have names would be Gabriel and Michael, and also Lucifer, obviously a name for Satan. So just names that we have there, we'll pick up those names again in just a moment or two. So the other thing I'd like us to look at is the categories of angels. Um, and the first one I'd look, like to look at is the matter of the cherubim. And if you'll turn all the way back to Genesis 3 again, uh, we've already again, again saw this passage earlier in our overview. 
Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. This, of course, is after the fall of man, and uh, God is dealing with man in this matter. And in verse 24, so he, God, drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, it was asked earlier in class, cherubim is, is the plural, so there, is cherub, there are cherubs. There are, there are obviously, um, here must have been more than one, one particular living creature that God appoints here to be the guardian of the east of the garden. And um, so, cherubim. But then on over to Exodus 25, I, I just find it really amazing, um, God's intention and God's use of the cherubim as he continues to reveal things to man. And in... Exodus 25, this is the making of the tabernacle, again, that temporary dwelling that God had the Israelites make while they're doing their wilderness wanderings. Uh, it's, it's a, I love to study the tabernacle. It's one of ones that how I think has a lot of significant types and comparisons in it to, to Christ and to our relationship with God and everything. Uh, obviously, the, the tabernacle was built from a very practical standpoint. It was intended to be able to take them down, take them apart, moved put back up, um, the exterior covering, there were four, la- four layers of covering, but the exterior covering is a very, very tough material. Um, some have suggested even possibly like a shark skin or something or, or a badger skin or whatever, but it's very tough. But the very innermost covering is what's being going to be described, not in this m- moment here, but in the next passage we read. But I'm noticing in uh, Exodus 25, beginning with verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width, and you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at two ends, as if one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering, above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The face of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. Again, we, I, we, I know we read it, we already talked about this a little bit before, but again, here is this most precious, most holy, most sanctified portion of the tabernacle, that which is the inside part of it here, and as the priest would walk into that portion of that and he would look at his surroundings, he would look at the cloth that he could see surrounding him, he would see uh, into, fastened into that, well, I don't know if it's a would have been an embroidered type situation or exactly how they would have done it, but they would have seen the, the appearance of cherubim looking down at the, them as priests as they would come in to, to the offer um, the morning and evening things and then the, the once the year on the Day of Atonement. And so we have this very vivid picture of these cherubim who have been first designated as guardians against the man using the garden and now in overseeing this particular part of worship. And then over to Exodus 26. In uh, verse 1 of Exodus 26, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue, purple and scarlet thread, with artistic designs of cherubim you shall weave them. So that describes it here as being woven into it. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each 
pure cubits and so forth, following down through. And then down to verse 30, 31 of Exodus 26. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of a cake wood overlaid with gold. So this is the first description we describe would, would, would have been this entire covering that would have entire, covered the entire tabernacle, which I haven't looked at for a long time, but I think it was, it's 15 by 45, uh, 15 feet approximately by 45 using the cubits. And so in, everywhere in the, in the tabernacle you would have seen these cherubim, but also then in the veil that was between the, the two sections of the tabernacle and separating the Holy of Holies would have been another curtain, another veil that would have also had these cherubim artistically designed or we, uh, woven into them. Um, again, this would have been the same veil that later, not the very same one, but the concept of the veil that was uh, rent, rent in two uh, upon Christ's resurrection. And so that was what later kept separated them. So the cherubim were just this very, very important part of, of uh, watching over uh, monitoring worship, monitoring mankind's approach to God. Um, not even sure how to say all the things that seems to be involved in it. Ezekiel uses the reference to, if you turn there, uh, reference to uh, cherubim numerous times in its context. And we're just, we're just going to look at two of them right now. Uh, Exodus, Ezekiel, excuse me. Chapter 10, verse 1, And I looked, and there in the firmament was above the head of the cherubim. There appeared something like a sapphire stone, having the appearance of the likeness of a throne. Then he spoke to the man clothed with linen and said, Go in among the wheels under the cherub, till your hands with coals of fire from among the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And he went in as I watched. And um, again, um, Ezekiel deals a lot with what we refer to or believe will be the millennial kingdom, kingdom the millennial temple, uh, we have um, the tabernacle, we have Solomon's temple, and then we have Herod's temple, Zerubbabel's temple before that, but Herod's temple, and then there would be a temple constructed for the, t- during the time of the millennium, and this references here will be references to that throughout the book of Ezekiel. And then the uh, saddest reference to cherubim in this book in, Ex- in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 14. This is a passage that many believe are a reference to Satan um, in reference to his, what his condition was before he fell, before he chose to disobey God. Uh, it's parallel, parallel, if you want to make reference to it, to Isaiah 14. Again, we'll look at both of these later. Um, but beginning with uh, verse 11 of Ezekiel 28, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of gold. God, every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and an emerald with gold. 
The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Before I go any further, the one, there is a reference to King of Tyre, but notice that it talks about him being in the, in the Garden of Eden and also talks about, describes all the beauty of these jewels and everything, which would obviously far surpass any human person or human existence. So it has to be more than a reference just to, just to, um, to a king, to a king of Tyre. And then in verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And so Satan here is described as being one of those cherubs, and it describes him here as, uh, again, all of his glory, all, grandeur, all of uh, who he was as God created him, uh, described as the anointed cherub. Uh, the word anointed always brings with it a certain special significance of importance, of uh, service, of value. But notice that he goes from being perfect in his ways from the, from the day he was created until iniquity was found in him. And again, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get back to the subject of Satan, Satan and, and the demons later in our study. But So cherubim out of the midst of these wonderful created spirit beings that God's created that have this very, very special task that's associated with the, with the tabernacle and then the temple is one that has chosen to lead the rebellion against God. And in the Isaiah 11, I said 14, I think it's chapter 14, passage that uh, he, he declares, and that's, that's the passage where he says, I will do this, I will do that, I will do that, uh, further describes his rebellion and his approach to uh, rebelling against God. So the cherubim, um, see them described as wings. With wings, we see them described as, again, as guardians, as those that are doing guardian work. And then back to Isaiah chapter 6, please. For seraphim, we're going to move off the cherubim to the subject of seraphim. And this is a familiar passage to all of us. Uh, we probably know it well from from having it referenced and also having, I'm sure, been spoken to someplace along the way. It is the only reference that we have in the scripture to seraphim. Uh, it is the the word seraphim does uh, refer to have a uh, grammatical reference to the burning ones, uh, seem to refer to maybe refinement and so forth. But in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, verse 1, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, undone, undone because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. And so uh, holiness, the holiness of God, again, worship, service of God, uh, doing what God bent them to do, 
is all part of what the seraphim are required or expected to do in this particular passage. Again, categories of angels uh, uh, or, or created spirit beings would be a more accurate way of continuing to refer to that would be then to refer to the, the word angels. I've mentioned to you before that the word angels appears in the scripture over 300 times itself. It is uh, in 34 of the 66 books that are contained in Scripture. And um, it is, um, again, a significant reference to, to all of that. Um, and one of these uh, categories of the angels, possibly, if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 4, There is some question or discussion about this matter. I would have to tell you that I have some thought in my mind that this may not be a reference to a, a created spirit being as uh, the other ones that we're looking at is concerned. But this is a reference to the four living creatures or the four living beings uh, that are found in Revelation chapter 4. Um, and I, in verse 6 it says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Again, back to uh, verse 6, and I have the uh, reference to four living creatures. What else do any of you have for, what other words might you have in your text? Anybody have a different word than the word creatures, for instance? For beast. For beast, okay. Okay. Um, it, is a, uh, it is simply a reference that ought to be translated as, as living one. Uh, something that's living, something that's alive, uh, something that, again, is a being that would include the fact that it's a person and, and more than a person. It's, I talk about its nature and its existence and everything like it. Um, so most, and I'm going to for now, I'm just saying that sometimes when I read this, it's like, are this a, is this a separate category of God's creation other than what we normally would lump under or post under the idea of us? Uh, created spirit beings, um, but they do similar activity. They have the wings. They're giving the same similar message uh, uh, there in verse um, when, it, when they do quote holy, holy, holy. So, but, so most will take this as a, as a reference to another category of the created spirit beings, and that being the four living beings found in Revelation chapter 4 and again in Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, if you want to write that down. The next uh, category of angels is one that we would, would refer to as archangels. Um, and if you'll turn with me first to Jude, verse 9, the book of Jude, verse 9. Archangels, uh, the word arch uh, simply means first in uh, priority. Uh, it actually is the uh, the word that we get translated. Archangels is a, is is purely a transliterated word. Uh, it is the Greek 
word brought over into the English language sound for sound. It is not a translation of a word. It is, it is really just bringing it over sound for sound. It, so if you were to hear it in the Greek, it sounds very similar to, to arch, the word archangel in English. Um, the word arch added to the word angel just simply against, uh, indicates its primary position or primary um, rank. The, that word arc is the same word that we find in John chapter 1 when it says in the beginning. That in the beginning, the word beginning is the same root of the same word here that we find for archangel. So it's just an angel. It's, it's someone that, again, has priority, has some type of reference of preference. And in Jude verse 9, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And so, again, we have a reference to uh, an archangel. We have a name given to the archangel. We see him here in a confrontation with, um, with Satan himself, and we see uh, a little glimpse maybe into some type of interaction between the good angel the believing, you know, the, the obedient angel and the disobedient angel, the evil angel, a little bit of interaction between them as they have this conflict uh, going on. Uh, but again, notice that Michael does not depend on his strength or rely on his strength. He depends on the strength of God to respond to, to Satan in this particular situation. And then turn over with me to Revelation chapter 12. Verse 7, and war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so again, we have uh, the spiritual battle conflict between Michael and his angels, uh, ones assigned to him or under his... Um, leadership at this particular time. And so Michael is listed specifically as an archangel. Many believe that Gabriel uh, also is an archangel, though he is not given that particular title. And some other references you might want to look at is uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 21, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, in the book of Daniel, Gabriel is also listed. Let's, let's turn there, Daniel chapter 8. Verse 15 of Daniel 8, Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understood the vision. So, it came, so he, being a reference to Gabriel, came near where I stood, and when he came I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. And then also while we're right close by, chapter 9, verses 21 through 27. Uh, 
Daniel saying, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, a command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand this vision. And again, we'll uh, maybe come back and talk about this a little bit more. But So Gabriel has, does have a very important role, just never specifically described as being an archangel. Uh, what other important thing did Gabriel do in the Bible? Yes, he, he's the one that conversed with Mary in Luke chapter 5, excuse me, Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 20, verse 19, out of that section specifically, and verse 26, out of the next section um, along the way. And uh, before we go t- too far away, um, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, um, notice here, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I've been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Um, again, Michael's name coming back up, but notice it does say one, one of the chief princes, one of the chief, um, I think we could insert here the idea of the archangel. So Gabriel is being noted, or Michael, excuse me, is being noted here as only one of those particular categories of the angels. So so Michael clearly identified Gabriel seeming to have very similar tasks, very similar responsibilities as, as um, Michael did. So again, many, many believe that Gabriel also deserves the title of the archangel. Again, does it make any difference? Probably not, but just to mention it and let you know what is out there. And then turn with me to Psalm 8. Another category, uh, this is just the, a reference to the, the larger word that we use, that we, u- we have chosen to use um, to represent this study, the word angels, again, being a representative of the living um, creatures, uh, created spirit beings that God has made. And the verse that, again, probably you're all very familiar with, um, verse 5, um, let me pick up with what verse uh, four, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Uh, so the psalmist is, you know, he's just baffled by the fact that God, this almighty God, could care less about us, could even be interested in us. And, and the response is, you know, when you created man, you created him a little lower than the angels. He's already down, you know, a notch or two in your creative activity. Why do you, why do you bother with us? Why do you care? And um, it is add to the amazement. But, again, just, just the order of creation, uh, just a little bit of sense of um, order there between man and angels. And then, finally, for us, as we're looking, as I'm watching the clock, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Again, we've looked at this passage, and, uh, but just, again, to sort of wrap it up for today. And again, this whole 
book, as you're again familiar, just to remind us again that the whole book is uh, pointing out the superiority of Christ, how Christ is superior to, to all, to creation, to angels, to the ironic priesthood, etc., etc. And verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did he even say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? And obviously to none of the angels. And again, why I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And so angels were created. Part of the purpose for them being created was to worship the Christ, to worship the, the God-man. So remaining in this particular lesson or study would be then a listing of the other titles, which we'll, again, start our class with next time. But the other several titles that are noted, um, Romans chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Ephesians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. And those, those are rulers, principalities, authorities, powers, dominions, rulers of darkness, which is the word, another way of saying world ruler, spiritual wickedness, thrones, and mighty ones. And we'll, again, we'll come back to that. Um, they are listed in different orders in different places. Uh, some of them have more comprehensive lists than others. Uh, they seem to be, again, some type of reference to a, a list of other categories of angels. Um, you would assume that they all have something to do with the way God uses those angels in his ministry, ministry to creation, in his ministry to man. Um, they uh, certainly have references then also probably to the demonic uh, forces that are uh, present in in our existence, and except for the fact that they exist, that they're listed and they're named and they're recognized, there's not a lot of specific uh, identification f- about each of these names. Each these names can be give, can be put into cultural context, military context, uh, even political context, but we don't really know a lot more about how they actually are ministering for God to us and to the rest of God's creation. But we will, we will look at the references next week and, and talk about them you know, in some ways. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you.